0: Please know, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitian's Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished
1: Podcast. You are joining us for episode 313, Breast Health and Estrogen Metabolism. If you are listening in real time, we're releasing this mid-October, which just happens to be Breast Cancer Awareness Month, the time to create awareness for the tools that are already available for us. In today's episode, we will be covering updates on breast cancer risk, as well as food as medicine and functional approaches for breast tissue health and hormone expression.
2: Yes, today's episode will be a much overdue conversation. Looking back at my first 10 ever episodes in episode number six Uh, which was recorded in 2015. That episode was called Breast Cancer. And uh, I was reflecting in that episode on a research study that I had just wrapped up and passed on uh, that I had developed for MD Anderson for stage three breast cancer and a food as medicine approach. Uh, So we'll get into a little bit of that today because I haven't talked about that in at least five years, I feel like. Now it's seven years since then. Uh, And then uh, also most recently in episode two, 280 we covered why you need estrogen as well as 281 estrogen concerns and updates on estrogen dominance but what we really didn't get into is the various forms of estrogen metabolism so we did identify estrone estradiol and estriol but we didn't talk about the 4 2 or 16 hydroxy uh forms of estrogen and we'll kind of get nerdy on that today as well as covering more lymphatic support for breast tissue health uh, regardless of breast cancer risk you know looking at breast tissue health for breastfeeding as well as prevention of stretch marks breast tissue health for appearance and just good turgidity as well as pain and tenderness and so much more yes and before we do that let's just talk
1: updates real quick
2: Yes. So as we're in October, we're fully getting into the swing of things of the new year, um, of the new school year, excuse me, not the new year year. Uh, But many of us are starting to find a little bit more structure and flow from our summer. But often October is kind of that wiggly month right before we start to see all of the grocery stores and Target and all the places stimulating us with I guess, temptation or whatnot of the holidays, already starting to throw things off of this newly found structure. So this is just a call to action to not let that happen to you. Uh, Maybe you're finding yourself with a little bit more of a schedule and a flow to focus on meal planning. This would be a great time to check out our keto meal plans, uh, which you get as a comprehensive purchase at time of purchase. And then you also get an email for 12 weeks every Friday in your inbox with a grocery list, a food is medicine focus, as well as seven plus recipes. We have options for metabolic flexibility, but it's really showing you how to eat a food is medicine keto approach where you don't have to take time to learn the what's and the why's. It's just doing the recipes and you will get results and you're going to find household members that love these recipes as well you'll find a couple staples probably per week that you can incorporate into your family's regimen Uh, but just a really great way to kind of wrap your mind around staying on track clean eating as well as maintaining motivation as we're getting into this kind of slippery slope of halloween candy and such Um, and if you're really looking for a restart this might be a time to do our 10-day detox especially if you missed us in our 10 day detox that we did in July, uh, and you have not done one since January, this is a great time to kind of hone in, clean out the pantry, and push the reset button. And when we're talking about breast tissue and we're talking about antioxidants, a 10 day detox is a really great way to offset the toxic exposure that we are all privy to just living in an industrialized world, be it from the VOC in our paint or the industrialized chemicals in the furniture that we're sitting on or transportation and so much more Um, doing a 10 day detox is really a good way to just kind of change the oil if you will in your car uh, just like you would do that for your body to push the reset button get an abundance of antioxidants upregulate the phase one and phase two detox pathways that we're about to nerd out on um, just a call to action that this might be the time to jump in and do that so you can get both the keto meal plans and our 10 day detox program as well as our reset restore renew detox packs over at AllieMillerRD.com.
1: All right. And before we dive into things, our sponsor for today's episode is Fond Bone Broth.
2: Yes, we love Fond Bone Broth. And I was looking at their website for just updates on seasonal flavors, which is always fun. But I read this language and I think it couldn't be more true that they're crafted for health, but they're sipped for pleasure. Yeah, right. And that's truly how we feel about Fond Bone Broth. I could not say it better. I know that they use one of my quotes on their jar, which is a facelift for the gut. Um, So I really have talked about for a long time the fact that bone broth is very nourishing to our epithelial lining or our gut tissue. And the nutrients in bone broth actually feed and fuel our gut cells to aid in repairing our gut lining. So that's where we're getting kind of that facelift for the gut. But we know that bone broth does so much more beyond just repairing leaky gut and reducing food sensitivity. We know that bone broth is supportive for connective tissue, including hair, skin, nails. And when we're talking about breast health, we know that a lot of shifts occur, especially as we are women going through breastfeeding and weaning and engorgement and changes in <laughs> tissue fill and flow, that having good connective tissue support is a really, really great way to ensure good, supple turgidity and healthy tissue moving forward as breast tissue changes through the years. Uh, so bone broth could be also A breast lift, I guess, (laughs) in some sense, especially if paired with breast massage that we'll talk about today. Uh, but we love fond. Um, they provide really quality sourcing from pasture raised to grass fed bones. Uh, they are sustainably packaged and, um, exceptionally delicious. Uh, I have been loving their bouquet garni, which is the rosemary sage and thyme. I mean, it just starts to feel like Thanksgiving already in a jar. Uh, I love their conductor, which uses butternut squash to pull and rosemary and they do this as an infusion in the bone broth so these are not pureed soups you're still going to get a clear sippable liquid but all of that party on the palate um, which is really fabulous for extending a fast we use the fun bone broth in our 10 day detox as an option of doing a 3 day bone broth fast to really get a deeper calorie deficit while still getting 20 grams of protein per jar at 0 grams of carbohydrates so a really great way to get you back into keto if you've fallen and off um, by doing maybe a three-day bone broth fast. And you can do that as simple as just sipping four jars of Fond for three days in a row and then transition into a clean food as medicine keto approach. Um, I love sipping on a jar every day. I often will use it as a replacement for coffee or tea, or I'll do it just mid-morning or mid-afternoon um, when I'm feeling a little bit of stress and I want to really hone in on supporting my gut, getting that 20 grams of protein and trace minerals in the jar, um, really helping with even like a tension, stress, headache, or craving and seeking other crunchy, salty snacks. Um, So big fans of fun bone broth, regardless of the season, something fun to sip on. But especially as we go into fall, this is the time that I feel like bone broth really shines. And if you have not tried them, go on over to FondBoneBroth.com slash rd. Use the code Allie Miller rd at checkout over at FondBoneBroth.com slash rd, and you will save on your first order. All right. So before we
1: get into breast health, I want you to share a little bit, Allie, on your background and experience with the research study that you mentioned on stage three breast cancer that you helped to develop at MD Anderson. It feels like long long time ago yes. when i first met you you were doing that That was
2: back in 2012 yes that i was recruited by md anderson i was working uh well not working i guess i just had a farmer's market table that i uh was able to use the, oh my gosh that beeping is annoying why does it keep going off Grant. Grant. <laughs> the laundry keeps beeping all the time <laughs> Okay. (laughs) Okay. Yes, so that was all the way back in 2012. I met Dr. Lorenzo Cohen, who was the director of integrative medicine over at MD Anderson. And at that time, I was growing my private practice and tabling at the farmer's market. And I just so happened to have, it was October, and I had a newsletter on sweet potatoes. And I was talking about yams and estrogen metabolism and epigenetics and that your genes are not your destiny. And so the back of the newsletter talked about the epigenome, which we'll talk about a little bit today as well very full circle 10 years later interesting yes uh and so uh the research study was based on dr uh, or david servan shriver's book uh anti-cancer and um dr lorenzo cohen wanted to bring this to life for stage 3 breast cancer uh individuals. And so within their active treatment, there was a lifestyle protocol, which incorporated exercise, stress management, and diet. And so I was able to develop the dietary intervention It is a study that's funded through the National Institute of Health and um, is the results are not out yet um, because it was a five-year intervention study and it just started to be implemented in 2015. So, you know, there's a lot of time going into the the development side of things. I put together five hours of educational material. Uh, for optimal eating, and then five hours of interactive food as medicine in the kitchen. So it was 10 hours of curriculum, five of it didactic, educational, with like worksheets and modules, and then five hours of uh, interactive uh, cooking classes, essentially, where we worked on food as medicine. And um, it was six months plus of delving into up-to-date research to develop a protocol that could be used for successful outcomes to drive remission. And that I could also use in my practice and for patients across the board for just prevention um, as well as a complementary treatment modality. So,
1: as you were doing that um, research, what were what were some of the elements of the research study that you developed, um, and what was part of the curriculum?
2: Yeah, so it was developed as bi weekly sessions, and um, the educational would be, you know, like a sit down session with a dietitian, And then the, the um, kitchen was in a actual hands on kitchen space where they were able to bring a support member or a family member. And so I would synergize the topics, like the educational component would be on the low glycemic diet the importance of managing blood sugar spikes, and then connecting a little bit nerdier like IGF on um, tumor activity. So it's insulin growth factor and how if you eat a high glycemic diet, this increases your IGF hormone and that drives tumorigenesis or tumor expansion or growth. Um, Then I'd provide them with tools on how to balance their blood sugar levels, give them carbohydrate ranges for meals, snacks, and throughout the day. Talk about ways to tame sugar cravings and come out with uh, low glycemic uh, options of desserts, for instance, of like, you know, berries um, and coconut whip, um, and talk about adding cinnamon and other kind of food as medicine ingredients to aid in insulin sensitivity. We talked about anything from food label reading to identifying additives to avoid those that, especially, had known carcinogenic or potential carcinogenic effects as ingredients to be aware of and replacement products. Uh, I was even able to incorporate gluten, which was a big fight. Uh, I was able to connect the idea that if gluten does drive intestinal enteropathy, even in non-celiac individuals, that this, that's a fancy word for leaky gut, intestinal enteropathy, that that leaky gut would drive more inflammatory expression in the body and that this increase of inflammation in the body could interfere with or exacerbate tumor growth activity in the body interfere with the cancer treatment outcomes. Uh, So I was able to develop a pretty on-par anti-inflammatory diet. Uh, There were definitely limitations in the world of I was not able to use any supplement strategy, Mm -hmm. which would be something that I would do on my own. That wasn't in the funding or the design model. Um, So it was a lot more hands-on of like learning how to massage greens in the form of like lacinato kale and understanding mechanisms of antioxidants in the kitchen of when we add lime juice to our apple or avocado that prevents that browning and that is an antioxidant you know, in action and how important that is on a cellular level, and even protecting our DNA. Uh, we taught them how to make bone broth and various staples of a traditional nourishing diet, like fermented foods and probiotics. Uh, it was pretty robust, and especially for the population of the study, which was lower income, um, you know, we had to be mindful of not using these uh, on-trend food products, but really teaching them back the old school approaches of food preservation and just getting back to that. How did your great grandmother eat kind of style of eating? Super cool. And hopefully had long lasting impacts even beyond the
1: duration of, you know, the study. Um, so I know in preparation for that study, you did a lot of research about hormones. Let's just go there talk about hormones. I know this is a controversial topic when we're talking about, you know, especially hormone replacement, yes. um, but let's talk about what are the risks, what is safe, and what are we looking at in terms of the main hormones implicated in breast cancer?
2: Yes. So, you know, breast tissue is very sensitive to hormonal influence. In breast cancer, malignancy or the spread of a tumor is going to arise from breast tissue that is commonly influenced by hormones. Um, So approximately 80% of breast cancers express estrogen receptors, and about 65% of breast cancers have estrogen and progesterone receptors. There are three different forms of estrogen. So there's estrone, estradiol, and estriol, which is the E3. Estrogen in the form of estradiol is going to be the most dominant form, and that's going to be the one that we really see overly expressed in the world of estrogen dominance and um, with estrogen receptor positive cancer. Uh, And we see both E1 and E2 as more of the proliferative when they are in an excessive range or outside of the range or in too high of a value. Um, Whereas we see progesterone and estriol, or E3, often as having the ability to modulate the influence of estrogen. And these can be associated with positive clinical outcomes or prevention even of cancer. Um, Progesterone has repeatedly actually been shown to have an inhibitory effect on the growth of tumors in the breast.
1: Okay. And as we discussed in episode 281, estrogen updates and dominance, um, the nurse's study was the one that made physicians stop prescribing hormones and and really created this fear of hormone replacement therapy. Um, And this was due to quite a high dosage of conjugated estrogen and progestin. So synthetic forms of these hormones in an excessive dosage.
2: Yeah. I think that's a really important point to make. Um, And so when we're looking at the negative research or the research that shows harm with hormone replacement therapy, such as the nurses' study, we're talking about the use of synthetics, not bioidentical. They used PremPro as an example in that study. Um, And as you mentioned, higher doses than would be recommended, especially in postmenopausal individuals, talking four to six times the dosage that would be used for an estrogen level that would be appropriate to maintain bone health let's say or prevent vaginal atrophy and support healthy vaginal tissue so our approach always clinically is that we only advocate for bioidentical hormones which are going to be structurally identical to the hormone that your body makes and this is often going to be yam derived um, when we're looking at hormones, it's always less is more just to get to a range that supports whole body health, not to chase a fountain of youth and bring a 65 65- year old individual to a level of hormone production that a 20 year old individual would have. Um, So when we are using bioidentical hormones strategically in the presence of monitoring with lab values and ensuring that we're keeping them in these ideal ranges that are appropriate for age cascade, we can actually see good prevention in research on breast and ovarian cancer. And I think that's really important to call out. It's important to note that even though the hormones are bioidentical or natural, if they are not monitored, though, they still can hold a risk factor. And that's the really important If you can't just kind of set it and forget it. Sure. If using bioidentical hormone, I mean, I've been on bioidentical progesterone for now over seven years. And um, I test my hormone levels at least twice a year, if not three times a year. Um, And it continues to be a need because I'm a high-stress individual um, that steals progesterone for cortisol survival. Sure. Uh, But, you know, when we're looking at testing, saliva is really the gold standard. When we're looking at sex hormone as well as steroidal hormone structures, this includes cortisol, estrogens of all three types, as well as progesterone and testosterone. And this is because saliva is going to accurately represent the amount of hormone delivered to the receptors in our body. Um, so unlike serum or a blood draw, a uh, blood draw is only going to represent the amount of hormone level that um, is going to be in the form that is uh, going to be bound. Um, And so when we look at our hormones in the saliva, we're able to actually see the free hormone. um, And the free hormone is really what is able to hit those receptor sites. When you do a blood test, you're only seeing about 5% of the hormone free, 95% of it bound. And that 95% of the information you're getting isn't even able to engage with your receptors, if that makes sense. So saliva is going to be more influential of your hormone levels of what's actually hitting that lock and key mechanism. If you are hormone curious and/or have not tested your hormones, or you're taking pellets, or are on a bioidentical or a synthetic hormone, even like um, the various forms we talked about in episode 201, so it could be a vaginal ring, it could be a topical cream, highly, highly suggest that you run a neurohormone panel. Um, You can go on over to allymillerd.com and under labs, it's just called the neurohormone complete plus, and that would be the one for women. Um, And that's going to have all three types of estrogen, the progesterone, testosterone, and your cortisol. And that's a really great way to understand where your body is at in the world of hormones. Yes. I can't tell you how many times I have clients come and they show me a blood test. They're like, my doctor tested
1: all my hormones and they're normal. And I'm like, where were you in your cycle when this was tested? Yes. Because actually we want to be hitting day 20 or so when we're testing progesterone. Um, and if we're doing a blood level of estrogen, they're only testing um, that estradiol or, or E2. And you ideally want to test that at day three of cycle. And then the reference range is so broad that like yeah. everyone shows up normal and it never tells us anything.
2: And it's a bound yeah. compound. Yeah. So, so again, it's not, it's really, not really relevant.
1: Nope. Um, so going a little deeper into estrogen metabolism. Um, so we know that E1 and E2 are going to be more risk factors. But even of these forms, there are more or less reactive metabolites this was like 2 4 and 16 kind of random numbers that you were talking about before let's let's get into that
2: yes so it is of course well established that the metabolites of estrone and estradiol or e1 and e2 can exert proliferative effects in the breast tissue Um, and again it's more about the way that these hormones are metabolized Um, as well as the activity of the metabolite intermediaries. And so we're going to get nerdy. Put your little thinking cap on. Um, But the big point is, again, if these numbers in the saliva are elevated, we would anticipate that there probably are higher susceptibility or higher um, possibility of these harmful metabolites being formed because there's just more volume of this hormone in the first place. So just to kind of say that as a simple way of looking at things. Um, So the liver, when we look at metabolism of estrogen, we're looking at the liver. And we have called that out. The liver, remember, is the gland that's going to aid in hormone production as well as hormone metabolism. So during phase one metabolism, our E1 and E2 are going to be metabolized to the intermediary hydroxy forms of estrogen. And this is the 2-hydroxy, 4-hydroxy, and 16-hydroxy. And this is going through our... um, Cytochrome enzymes of the liver. So there's a, a CYP1A1, a CYP1B1, and a CYP34A. Those are respectively the different cytochrome, cyto, cytochrome pathways that aid in that hydroxylation. Okay, this phase one detox, if you've heard us talk about detoxification pathways, is where we take a fat soluble or a steroidal hormone and we make it water soluble. So that's what we're talking about with these hydroxies. If that connects the dots Um, each of these metabolites are going to carry a different risk related to breast health Um, the two hydroxy is generally considered the safer of the metabolites whereas the four hydroxy is considered to be the most carcinogenic followed by the 16 hydroxy which comes from the e1 okay so when we're looking at our um, rate ratios of this increasing your two hydroxy metabolism Um, through the the cytochrome pathways are going to play a favorable role in treatment strategy and when we're looking at compounds we want to identify nutrients foods or phyto compounds that can aid in creating a favorable metabolism of increasing the two hydroxy over the level of the four hydroxy And, and so when we're looking at breast cancer fighting foods Often that is that that metabolic pathway.
1: Yes. So the good news here is that when we're talking about metabolites, that means that you know it's something your body produces, but it's modifiable. It's not yes. you know set in stone that you're going to produce one over the other. Though there might be genetic elements, which we'll get more into that space. Uh, but there are things that we can do. So let's look at some of the foods and compounds kind of found in this world.
2: Yes. And the biggest star of the show is going to be cruciferous vegetables. Uh, we're looking at the influence of diendolmethionine. And also we're looking at eindol 3 carbonyls. Um, now, when we're talking about eindol 3 carbonyls, we know that we require stomach acid to convert them into the methionine. Um, I do use DIM or methionine in an individual that does have tested elevated levels of estrogens because we really do need to pull these down but on a supplemental approach if we have not tested i'm always going to lean on an eindol 3 carbonyl, especially one that dances with sulforaphane and myrosinase so our brocco detox is one that i would bring in twice daily with food as a preventative without known testing especially for an individual that has a past history personally, or a family history of breast cancer. That Brocco Detox is going to be the most promising direct tool for estrogen regulation. It has sulforaphane, which is the unique antioxidant from broccoli. It incorporates both broccoli seed and broccoli sprout. In the formulation and this is going to both aid in that hydroxylation increase of the two hydroxy which is the uh, protective form while also supporting phase two detoxification which we'll get to in a moment and that's excreting that excess estrogen so you're both going to ensure the estrogen that is in the body is in the safest form and then that we're not getting an excessive amount of estrogen circulating in the body. We know that sulforaphane has been shown in research, not just to reduce excessive estrogen, but that it can also protect the toxicity of our cells from free radicals, which are what can can really drive that mutagenic process of cancer risk in the body we also know that the sulforaphane can actually stimulate our nrf2 pathways and this supports glutathione which is a high antioxidant and that can protect against that dna damage or cellular damage that would drive more of the tumor activity in the body so you're both getting antioxidant. You're getting support on the metabolism of the estrogen and also excretion of excess circulating estrogen in the body. Yes. And that
1: Braco detox would be kind of a safer, gentler, like you said, not needed to test. Maybe we have a family history or we're demonstrating some estrogen dominance symptoms versus something like the DIM that would be, you know, more aggressive.
2: Yes. And what makes Brocco Detox unique is that not only do we have that sprout and seed in the presence of the sulforaphane, we're providing that myrosinase enzyme, which aids to actually activate the powerful glucoraffin compounds. And these are what create that sulforaphane for cancer and pathogen fighting. So we've even talked about how Brocco Detox can be used to fight against H pylori um, but really this would be a big role on estrogen balance and antioxidant effects Um, so one twice daily as a baseline we would go up to four daily for sure if dealing with um, past breast cancer or current breast cancer treatment time And then other actual food compounds that we can consider, as well as supplements in this um, process of estrogen metabolism, we've seen positive outcomes from all of your morning beverages, so coffee as well as green and black tea. Um, So these would be good things to keep in the mix. Uh, Resveratrol is one that shows really promising ability to keep that 2-hydroxy metabolism Um, We've seen andrographis um, as plant medicine consideration. And then in the world of our wild fish, astraxanthin, which is the antioxidant in wild caught shrimp as well as uh, wild salmon, any of that pink pigmentation and fish oil itself, the EPA and DHA can be very uh, supportive of both reducing inflammation and aiding in supporting that, that healthy metabolic pathway. And then um, the sulfur in the garlic and allium family would be also good choices. And these would lean and extend into that phase two detox pr- process as well.
1: Okay. Just as we've discussed with our various episodes on detox, when that phase one enzyme pathway is upregulated, we can see formation of more free radicals, which means we're going to need both antioxidant support as well as phase two sulfur containing amino acid support to help kick those toxins out, right? To get them safely out of the body. Um, So this is why in our Reset, Restore, Renew detox packs, for instance, we've developed this three to one ratio of phase two to phase one nutrients. Um, And then we include an antioxidant pill to offset the free radical impact.
2: Absolutely. So, you know, you're getting that through the 10 day detox diet where we're getting an abundance of anthocyanins and your berries and we're getting you on green tea and such. Uh, but it is really important supplementally to ensure that you're getting more of that encapsulation excretion of the phase two activity, as well as an abundance of antioxidants. So, herbs, seasonings, and spices would be high consumed to support that antioxidant. Um, and so, doing things like a chimichurri sauce or um, bringing in ginger to your green smoothie or adding in uh, turmeric or doing our turmeric lemon shooter would be a really great form of that liver support while you're getting that high antioxidant and um, we're looking at any range of bioflavonoids, which is going to be in your citrus family, to your thiols, which is in that garlic, onion, cruciferous family, to your carotenoids, which is going to be in your watermelon and your uh, sweet potato and your carrots. Um, So really getting that rainbow of color is key, Um, and getting your produce up is going to be a great way to protect against that oxidative stress.
1: Okay. So detox packs in and of themselves, I think would be a great supplement, um, and nutrient support ongoing for breast health, um, and for, you know, supporting that detoxification. And especially again, if you have known cancer in the family, I think super important to stay diligent with doing your quarterly oil change of the detox for sure. And then maybe taking a pack you know, five times a week or even daily, it's not going to hurt. Right. Um, Beyond that, we for sure want to consider ramping up phytonutrients and antioxidants in other ways. So considering multi-defense as our multivitamin that has 13 different phytonutrients and antioxidants as really key supplements. Um before we go into other supplement support, let's just cover real quick on how Phase 2 detox works and engages in estrogen metabolism.
2: Yes. And I would say just pausing on that multi-defense, um, I think that that's really what makes it unique over, of course, any other multivitamin on the market is that phytonutrient antioxidant blend and just an easy foundation. That's why we have that in our wellness essentials bundle. Um, not only are you going to get those phyto compounds and antioxidant blend, which includes resveratrol and the green tea extract and pomegranate, uh, we're also going to get those minerals that serve as antioxidants like selenium and manganese, um, And I think that that's a really important note to make as well. So a quality multi with a phytonutrient blend would be great for breast health. Um, When we're moving into that phase two of detoxification, this is going to involve methylation of the phase one metabolites, um, further making them more water soluble so that they can be excreted um, inactive uh, through the COMT enzyme pathway. Um, and so, this is an extremely important step. If your four uh, hydroxy metabolites are not inactivated, they have the potential to form quinones um, or semiquinones. And these are highly carcinogenic and genotoxic. These are capable of inducing and potentiating breast cancer. So, again, if your four hydroxy metabolites, which are already of a higher risk factor, are not inactivated and detoxified through phase two detox support, you have the ability to form these harmful quinones and semiquinones, which are known to be genotoxic. Um, And so it's really important that we are optimizing the function of the COMT pathway. Um, And now this is a specific uh, gene in the body. um, that stands for catecholamine methyltransferase. We often think of COMT individuals of those that could be more anxious because um, catecholamines are your stress-responding chemicals. There's also a strong connection of individuals that are under chronic high stress having a significant breast cancer uh um, risk factor and that's why we used stress reduction as an element in the research study that was conducted and so there is definitely a piece of the puzzle of chronic stress and then reducing the influence of that wheel that creates that stress responding chemical. so one food for thought here is actually focusing on calm and clear um, which would support that COMT pathway. Um, you're going to get the blend of nervines in there. You're going to get your methylated uh, B vitamins in the world of methylcobalamin, which has been shown to support COMT pathway, as well as um, support on um, reducing that fight or flight response, which would tax or create more stress On that pathway itself because you're going to get your nervine calming herbs your adaptogenic herbs and your l-theanine and phosphatidylserine so these amino acids aid in modulating your brain chemistry so that it can feel more safe and less fight or flight stressed yes um, and so let's talk about maybe some of the nutrients that,
1: um, can increase activity of, of CUMT or help to optimize its function. So cruciferous veggies come up here mm-hmm, again. again. Yeah. Um, so we're looking at your broccoli, kale, cauliflower, cabbage, you name it in the cruciferous world, Um, soy foods, although we've talked about the controversy there of soy. So this would be, we're thinking more of the fermented Mm -hmm. traditional forms like miso has shown favorable impact.
2: As well as tempeh could be considered for certain or natto. sure. Uh, Resveratrol shown to be really favorable here. And so this would be, you know, that one glass of dry farm wines and then following with a detox pack if you want to be super conservative there. But um, we are seeing that in our dark pigments and our ferments. Uh, Looking at citrus food with those bioflavonoids. Teas beyond just the green tea, black tea, and white tea, looking at rooibos and dandelion as very favorable teas for the COMT support. And then high amounts of spices, especially turmeric and rosemary, have been shown to be very favorable. So for those that have lower COMT activity or excessive COMT stress, Um, they're going to have a greater potential for quinone activity. Um, And again, the quinones are the ones that have been shown as genotoxic and really big drivers of potentiating breast cancer. So we're looking at reducing stress, using that calm and clear to mellow out the COMT demand. And then we're also looking at the cruciferous and these antioxidants to aid in supporting the COMT pathway. And furthermore, when we're talking specific to these really harmful compounds, these quinones, Um, We've seen favorable impacts on NAC or N-acetylcysteine. In fact, there was a study that looked at NAC reducing the toxic effects of estrogen specifically. Um, We know that N-acetylcysteine can reduce estrogen semiquinones, mutagenic compounds back to their catechol estrogen form, which is that less genotoxic expression. Um, And the primary effect is that it can react with quinones to form conjugates. And prevent the formation of these estrogen DNA adducts or these hazardous compounds. So, cellular antioxidants, for that reason, that's our formula that has that one gram of N acetylcysteine or 1.2 grams of N acetylcysteine in two capsules, as well as the S acetylated glutathione. So, you're getting that really master antioxidant plus that NAC to really protect against the toxic effects of estrogen. So, big player there with the cellular antioxidants. And then also, because COMT plays a role with methylation, we want to ensure we have ample B vitamins to support. Um, so we're looking at our riboflavin, our B6, our folate, and our B12, but also magnesium. We actually think of magnesium, we think of you know these B vitamins more in our MTHFR pathway, but for COMT, we want to ensure that we don't over and that we actually get methylation support from other compounds such as SAMe or magnesium. Um, and that's why the reason reason in our calm and clear we only allow that methylcobalamin but we do not have methylfolate in there we've actually seen some studies where if you over folate um, if you over methylate with folate that that in fact can drive proliferation sure um, and so we really keep the methylated folate just in our multivitamin and our b-complex but then if you wanted to dose higher for stress support we're ensuring that the calm and clear is free of that methylated folate so just a little bit of a call out to that
1: Yes, and then for the magnesium, we'd be looking at bringing in relax and regulate, which beyond supporting, you know, methylation, um, actually, um, has been shown, um, especially the myo-inositol to have a wide range of anti-cancer
2: effects. Yes. So you're getting that magnesium to aid in methylation, um, and that COMT pathway regulation, and it's that magnesium bisglycinate, which is the more neuromuscular support aiding in that stress response. But then myo-inositol, the other ingredient in our relax and regulate, has been shown um, to exert a wide range of anti-cancer effects. So inositol interacts with specific cancer cellular pathways while exerting other activities on the systemic level, including enhancing immune function, providing antioxidant activity, and aiding in insulin sensitivity, thus establishing more balanced blood sugar levels. So there was a study in 2016 in the International Journal of Endocrinology and um, the subject is broad-spectrum anti-cancer activity of myo-inositol. Uh, so I thought that that was really powerful player for an argument for Relax and Regulate as a big tool for breast tissue health. Yes, and just another reason I love my
1: Relax and Regulate. I'm at like four scoops a day throughout the end of my pregnancy, and um, you know, there's a lot of research there on blood sugar control neurological support, um, and even support for breastfeeding and milk production.
2: Yeah. So another mechanism on breath, breast health there, and especially, yes, mamas that are in their third trimester relax and regulate is a good friend because that magnesium bisglycinate is supported for preeclampsia. And then we know that as stress response when we're looking at cortisol excess, um, as a risk factor, um, that that also can have influence on baby in utero. So something to really manage as a stress responder. Yes.
1: Okay. So back to estrogen and breast health, just kind of tying together estrogen levels with detox, um, It's important as it plays a role ultimately with what biological activity that estrogen is going to have on the body or how it's metabolized. So the conversation of, of estrogen metabolism hasn't been maybe this thorough on the podcast, um, but we have covered somewhat um, the role of like flax seeds, for example, on estrogen.
2: Yeah, and that, that was exactly looking at these different forms of the hydroxylation or the hydroxyl forms of estrogen. So there was a study that looked at uh, post-monopausal women uh, and they compared an equal amount of the impact of the soy to flaxseed to look at the phytoestrogen metabolism and they found that the urinary concentrations of 2-hydroxyestrone but not of the 16-alpha-hydroxyestrone increased significantly in the flaxseed group. Um, In the flaxseed group, the ratio of the 2-hydroxy to 16-hydroxy was positively correlated with urinary lignan excretion. In the soy and the placebo groups, there was no significant correlation. Um, And so the Supplementation with the flaxseed modified the urinary estrogen metabolite excretion to a greater extent than we see in an equal amount of soy. And this is why I would fight for flaxseed over soy, because soy can have that phytoestrogen activity, but may not have that favorable ratio of increasing that protective to hydroxy. Um, And so that's what we saw specific to the flax. What was really cool also is they looked at um, post-menopausal women. And although there was this less dominant uh, expression of estrogen, there still was no negative effect on bone cell metabolism. And so they still got the benefit of the phytoestrogen with the flax in a safer metabolite. Got it.
1: Okay. Um, and, and that could be added, you know, to shakes or smoothies or stirred into yogurt, coconut yogurt, even like in nut
2: butter balls. Yeah. Um, pretty two tablespoons at, of yeah, brown flax I think would be great. Yep. Yeah
1: awesome um and beyond diet and nutrients which can have a role on our genetic expression obviously um we know that lifestyle can as well and we need to include here environment we need to include stress which we've talked about quite a bit um let's just touch on genetics beyond comt and how epigenetics matter and let's talk BROCA because i think that's a yeah. big part of the conversation and i don't know that we've touched on that prior much. much
2: yeah yeah so, you know, when we're talking about the epigenome, this is, I think, a very empowering concept to the individual because it states that our genes are stagnant. You know, you have your 23 chromosomes from mom and 23 from dad, and that creates your double helix of your DNA. And um, they your genes are not changing. So you can do a genetic profile on our um, website, which we can link, which does look at COMT and does look at MTHFR. Um, And this can tell us potentiality. It also looks at things like SOD or superoxide dismutase pathways to look at detoxification. Um, And I think it is, at some level, important to know that your genes do create an opportunity or they do create maybe an Achilles heel, if you will. So knowing your genes can give you an understanding of potential risk factor, but it is not an end-all be-all. It's kind of a choose your own adventure or an opportunity. Um, Our epigenetics are basically the concept that our environment, which includes our toxin exposure, our stress levels, our nutritional status, our diet, our sleep patterns, that these influences are above the genome, and they have the ability to actually turn on or upregulate or downregulate and turn off specific gene expression pathways. So someone could have a gene that is positive for breast cancer, but based on their epigenome, it may not be expressed or activated. Um, And so when we're looking at oncogenes, um, oncogenes are overactive genes or accelerators whereas tumor suppressor genes act as breaks on, on the growth of a tumor, if you will. And so we're talking about BRCA1 and BRCA2. These are tumor suppressor genes. Um, and so when we're testing for cancer risk, we're looking at a genetic mutation on these tumor suppressor genes, meaning that if you have a BRCA1 um, genetic mutation or your quote unquote positive that you may have an inactivation of the tumor suppression which may allow a undesirable proliferation or interfere with that tumor regulating Got it. So suppression is good,
1: but a mutation might
2: inactivate
1: that suppression and and kind of override it.
2: Exactly. And I think, you know, a decade ago, we were making really radical changes based on getting a positive BRCA1 or BRCA2 um, genetic profile without really fully understanding the influence of epigenetics. Because now when we're looking at research, Um, we've seen that um, a number of women where their family members have been affected by breast cancer or ovarian cancer, routine testing of the BRCA1 and BRCA2 genes do not identify any genetic change that would explain a diagnosis. But when we look a little bit deeper at that BRCA1 gene in more detail, um, now we're able to look a little bit beyond the presence of it being mutated, but actually on the activity of the gene. And we were able to see that if the promoter was methylated too much or hypermethylated that the BRCA1 gene could not be working effectively. Um, And so we've seen in families that the promoters of BRCA1 gene that hypermethylate um, are often affected by breast or ovarian cancer. Um, And so in this sense, now we have a direct opportunity via the epigenome to regulate that methylation status look at other pathways like comt and mthfr and really weave together um, a reduction of excessive methylation to support best outcomes without having to do a um, a, you know, double mastectomy as a prophylactic without presence of cancer, for instance. Yep.
1: So knowing that, you know, BRCA1 and BRCA2 mutations exist, but there's a lot of other genetic switches in there for sure that can impact. And then of course, there's the diet lifestyle environment, which we've talked about could be even more important. Um, Let's cover a little bit of that, of um, cancer causing foods and things to avoid before we move on to breast massage
2: yes okay so and then we'll talk a couple of the the we hit a little bit on the food as medicine with the sulfur containing uh cruciferous and such but we'll do a couple more food as medicine tips too so the big things to avoid which you're totally going to be doing if you are following the naturally nourished way of eating but just to call out for new listeners or if you've shared this with a family member um, the big area that we first want to avoid is rancid fats so these can be oxidized industrialized fats and especially avoiding trans fats. So trans fats are going to be these highly toxic, partially hydrogenated oils that are man-made, turning a vegetable oil that's often already oxidized and rancid into a solid saturated fat. Um, We've seen in many studies that these increase significantly the risk of heart disease, breast cancer risk, hormone imbalance, and really many forms of cancer, including pancreatic and colon. Um, When we're looking at our oxidized fats, we have to be mindful that fats play a role with our cell membranes and our integrity of our cells. And so... When we are consuming industrialized oils, or especially partially hydrogenated oils or fried oils, these can really interfere with cell integrity and cell function and can drive toxicity in the body as well as chronic inflammatory response. So getting back to whole single ingredient foods is a big key here. So we're talking about using the fats that your great grandmother ate with like your lard, um, pasture-raised sources would be important, tallow, ghee would be a clarified form of butter. This will be safer at high heat. And then still going for um, like a grass-fed pasture-raised butter, olive oil, um, using on uh, moderate amounts um, of a non-propellant avocado oil as a um, spray option or as a drizzle to combine with your olive oil, um, all would be reasonable. But we're looking at whole food forms. So also like nut butters would fall into that family um, the less expression, the less um, that we process like a tiny seed, like rapeseed oil, which is what canola is derived from and then bleached and chemically treated multiple times and centrifuged, um, the the less oxidative stress and the more wholesome nutrients that we're actually getting to support our cellular integrity. So whole food fats and pulling out any of those industrialized oils, and that would extend to avoiding fast food and um, fried food at most establishments and i know that that is a tricky one because even brussels sprouts can be delicious fried but you're way better off pan roasting those or pan searing those and using like duck fat um, or something that's going to be much more stable and you can still mimic that nice umami flavor profile but Watching and limiting fried foods would be a really big recommendation. Yep.
1: And anything processed too, even like the healthier processed options are still going to have a lot of times sunflower or
2: safflower oil,
1: um, which are also not great.
2: Yes. (laughs) Yes. Absolutely. Um, the next thing I would look at is additives in the food system. So we know that our country allows so many ingredients that the European Union bans. Um, we just talked about this in our last live detox class. So again, I think this is a good time to jump in and do the the 10-day uh, detox and just remind yourself about like what is a whole food. Um, but we know even to the level of like petroleum-derived food colorants that these synthetic compounds, not only do we see a risk factor associated with ADHD, and um, attention deficit and migraines. We also know that petroleum-derived food comp Uh, Colorants can actually bind to estrogen receptors and can interfere with hormonal balance, driving an increased risk for estrogen-related cancers. Um, And so they are petroleum-derived, meaning that they're lipid-soluble, so they're absorbed into our fat cells. um, And these can really create this endocrine or hormonal dysfunction, um, can definitely drive um, an issue with hormone balance in the body. And that would extend me to the third recommendation, which is our xenoestrogen, or compounds that we find in our food containers, like our plastics, especially plastic water bottles. Um, We can link our water episode about best water to go for in the household. Um, But xenoestrogens are going to be synthetics that are estrogen-mimicking compounds. They leach into our food and water supply And especially in higher acidic foods, um, we can see, or like thawing out and cooking in the microwave um, in plastic, um, we're going to see high amounts of, of these xenoestrogens leached out, and they have that very unfavorable influence on your estrogen metabolism. Yes,
1: and please stop drinking out of plastic water bottles. Switch over yes. to stainless steel or glass as a more sustainable option for the environment, but also to reduce that xenoestrogen you know, influence.
2: Yes, and, and again, we'll link the water episode where we talk about household filtration options that you can do just under your kitchen sink, um, as well as places that you can order from glass uh, water globes um, to good, better, best, in various budgets. So there's definitely a solution out there yes um just to round out some other food as medicine and then we'll get into some lifestyle including breast massage um, you are really looking at as we mentioned just like with the, the multi-defense the phytonutrient compounds. So antioxidants, these plant-based compounds are going to protect our DNA um, and protect our cells from the oxidative stress of the free radicals. Um, And so we know free radicals are formed from estrogen metabolism alone now, right? Um, That's those quinones that I was speaking to. And so we're looking for um sustainably grown or organically grown produce. Um, we know that when the plant has to defend itself from pests and insect and such, that it builds up a higher shield of antioxidants. Um, and so eating fresh fruits and vegetables from your farmer's market, Um, and growing in your own garden are going to have a really high antioxidant capacity. And we're looking for at least five choices of produce per day. Really five to seven is the recommendation. So getting that two to three cups of leafy greens, getting in an abundance of herb seasoning spices, uh, your rotation of berries and your bioflavonoids in your citrus. Um, And then of course that cruciferous family um, would be a big hit. And I gave cruciferous vegetables their own category here because we know that the sulfur containing cancer-fighting compounds abundant in our broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, bok choy, kale, and arugula are really favorable for both that metabolism into that staying in that 2-hydroxy as well as the excretion through the phase two detox pathways. And then something that we really didn't hit on beyond the world of flaxseed is fiber. Um, So we know that both soluble and insoluble fiber are going to have a role in cancer prevention. Um, And these are going to be abundant in your whole foods of your produce and nuts and seeds and spices. Um, But really, we are looking at good amount of soluble fiber to aid in serving to gather excess circulating estrogen and excrete it through the stool. Um, We also know that the insoluble fiber can play a role in absorbing estrogen-based compounds, um, whether they are in the plant-based forms of excess phytoestrogens or the mimicking of xenoestrogens. Estrogens or our estrogen metabolites. So both that gel of the soluble and that um, kind of binding of the insoluble are going to play a big role significantly in cancer prevention. In fact, we've seen that research studies show that women that consume 30 grams of fiber daily have a 32% risk reduction compared to those that consume only 20 grams and have only a 2% risk reduction. So really getting to that 30 to 35 grams of fiber a day Adding in those two tablespoons of ground flaxseed, and then definitely considering our phytofiber, which is going to have cranberry seed extract, as well as some of the carotenoid-based compounds like the carrot fiber and some of those flavonoids and like the citrus peel. You're gonna get as it as it is called phytofiber, plant-based fiber. So you're getting both the antioxidants and the fiber in one, and that would be a really great thing to throw into smoothies or shakes.
1: All right. Breast massage, shall we yes. talk
2: about it? <laughs> Let's talk about breast massage. So breast massage um, is something that I, when I was putting together this episode, I'm like, okay, I have to get back on it. Um, I was doing it a little bit after we had that episode with Susan Brack, 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 Susan Braxton. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a couple of Valentines ago. It was a steamy episode uh, about, you know, sex as medicine, essentially, <laughs> and the health benefits of sex and maintaining sensuality. And um, she referred to her breasts at one stage as weasels in tube socks. After breastfeeding. Yep. <laughs> yes. How you lose that turgidity and how you need to stimulate blood flow in your lymphatic system and in your breast tissue specifically that through touch and massage, you stimulate blood flow and this actually can aid in improved breast appearance. And I swear that I did notice like a more fullness in my bras when I was Good with breast massage. So I'm going to use this episode as an accountability measure and report back. Uh, But I have not done it for quite a while. And and I think that it is a really important piece of breast health. Um, You know, you can use breast massage as a tool for many purposes. So one could be improving breast appearance because um, we have seen that this can help with appearance of saggy breasts, again, driving that blood flow through massage. Um, Breast massage can be helpful for identifying breast cancer easing sore muscles as well as improving a breastfeeding experience and there is a lot of research especially um, doing breast massage even um, right early postpartum like right post delivery to help both with the quality of breast milk as well as the breastfeeding experience less mastitis Um, seeing actually even changes in the solids and the lipids and the casein concentration. I mean, I remember how dense my breasts were, and I know that it feels unappealing, but I think that I'm going to recommend you do it, Becky, this time around. You had a rough go at breastfeeding with Noah. I think that this is something you need to do. I did, and I already feel like they're like
1: super full and hard as a rock and won't won't let Byron touch them, but I guess self-massage is more.
2: Fair, yes. So, I mean, you know, I I know that always like post-shower, you know, when breasts were a little bit softened and you're like squirting Mm, milk out in the early days. But but massage is going to help with engorgement, plugged ducts, and mastitis, um, as well as, of course, um, ensuring healthy, Breast milk production. So, I think that's a huge thing for mamas that are listening. Um, and then beyond appearance, um, we're looking at lymphatic system support. So, you know, your breast tissue extends all the way to under your armpit area. And that's where many of the lymph nodes, some of us can even feel our lymph nodes in that area um, where we'd want to massage to stimulate the lymphatic system and, and support detoxification. Remember, your lymphatic system. It's really like the sewage system of the body and so it's responsible for moving out toxins um and we'll know after illness often or maybe surgery or something like that we can feel a little bit more of a buildup of waste and this is where especially with breast cancer treatment we'll see more lymphedema maybe following um, treatment in that area because there is more toxicity um, or following mastectomy because some of those lymph nodes are going to be um, modified of course at that time Um, but a lymphatic drainage um, manual massage can really be supportive to support detoxification. Um, we've seen that more than one in five people with breast cancer develop lymphedema. Um, and this can include swelling in the arm, breast, or chest. And that can result also from, again, surgery or radiation. Um, often we'll use chest compression to relieve the swelling. But there are studies that support combination of bandaging plus massage to actually greater um, enhance outcomes and have more significant improvement than just the bandaging. So moving and getting that manipulation um, is really key and even if you don't have lymphedema or you know you didn't have anything related with breast cancer breast massage can help your body to get rid of toxins as a good preventative and just overall support for lymphatic system and then in the world of sore muscles beyond just looking at your pectoral muscles and um, use of like chest presses or um, using chest muscles for your um, arms in like pull-ups or push-ups and such Um, beyond your pectorals as strain from exercise um, the pectorals can also develop tension in the back Um, and so often if you're just getting a back massage um, then you'll actually overcompensate and hold more chest tension Um, and so your brain will like sense the tension in your chest when the tension when the tension in your back is alleviated Hmm. Um, yeah so ensuring that even when you go get a massage if you don't want your masseuse to massage your breast at that, that evening, doing a breast massage sure. would be a good full circle to ensure that you don't then compensate and bring back that tension. Yep. Um, and I know our friend Colette makes this like lovely breast oil. Um, yes. But there are breast oils that you yes. can use that make it like a more... So by the time this airs, I'll try to get a link to her breast oil. This is what I use. So it has mustard seed oil as the primary base. So you're getting all of those detox-supporting brassica cruciferous compounds, um, really fabulous liver support. And then again, that phase one and phase two detox support from the mustard seed. Um, She puts pomegranate peel in there and pomegranate aids also in, in both Uh, pathways and then frankincense essential oil Um, so really good lymphatic and detox support there Um, and i'll go through some of the tips that she provides on um, breast massage Um, it's quite thorough um, but she recommends doing about four to six pumps of the breast oil in your palms and then rubbing that into your hands and first inhaling to breathe in the aroma of that uh, mustard seed oil and pomegranate and frankincense and then uh, applying the oil to the breasts and the surrounding areas, including the lymph nodes under the armpits while you breathe in slowly. So you're also incorporating some nice deep breath and um, stress alleviation. You're gonna stretch one arm straight into the air and press your fingers into your armpit notch and pump upward several times and this is going to prime your lymphatic system and then while you're still stretching one arm upward you're going to massage towards the inner part of your upper arm back down halfway by your side so kind of way wider up and down through that armpit space and this is more gently stimulating that lymphatic system after you did that direct pumping in the deeper armpit area Um, And then all the while, you're continuing to breathe slowly and and relax. Then you're going to support that breast of that arm that you were holding up by cupping one palm underneath near the nipple and placing the other palm over the top side near the nipple. And you're going to stroke both hands in opposite direction away from the nipple. So you're kind of like stroking... Away, I'm going along and doing it myself as I'm talking <laughs> you through. You can guys can do this effects, too. This yeah. is a this is an active listen. Um, yes, and so you're you're moving away from the nipple, oppositional with your two hands, all the way out your collarbone and your rib cage, so that you're you're getting that movement out from the breast and then you're gonna rotate and continue slowly in another section of your breast, stroking again from that nipple outward, and just working your way around the breast like a flower petal. So You're kind of moving the orientation of your hands in oppositional order. That's gonna drain that stagnant lymph from your breast tissue, while stimulating the flow of fresh, oxygenated, nutrient-rich blood into each breast. Um, Then you're gonna use your fingers and palms to gently lift, squeeze, and massage your breasts as you softly would knead bread dough. That releases hormones, including oxytocin, which maintains pleasure, uh, reduces anxiety, aids in pain management while moving venous fluids, and tones the breasts by exercising the underlying muscle. Um, And she just says, do whatever feels most loving to your own breasts and make sure that you massage around lumps rather than directly on them and be aware of them and monitor. Um, and then after you do kind of that cupping, following that flower petal pulling, um, you're going to move your hand one top, one bottom, and more of a ringing out um, clockwise motion. And um, this is taking turns on top and bottom of breast to further reduce toxins and drive up that lymphatic movement. And then she recommends ending um, with a gentle lift to both breasts from underneath and pressing them close to your heart, taking a deep breath. Um, And then even stimulating the flow with maybe a jiggle. Um, We do this often in dance of like shimmying. (laughs) Um, That definitely stimulates and moves lymphatic tissue. And that's where we probably have heard, you know, like individuals that sleep with a bra on, that that's not good for your lymph because you're compressing too much. So movement and jiggle. And then she notes even um, like nipple pinching or pulling can even further stimulate that oxytocin. And then you'd switch to the other armpit and the other side.
1: Yeah, and you could totally bring a partner in on some or all of that. Um, That's Super technical, though.
2: For... Yes, but I mean, I'm going gonna, gonna to to... I'm picturing Byron
1: trying to do that. He'd be like, first I do the one. <laughs> <laughs> just his nope. engineer brain wouldn't work, so yeah. I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> yes,
2: yes. Um, but it wasn't so... I mean, I, I did that a little bit, um, and it's, you know, enjoyable. It's uh, also a great way to bond with your partner. Sure. And you can have your partner use like 10 minutes per breast and just kind of sit between their legs and watch a movie or listen to music and, you know, then it can also help with other oxytocin boosting, stress reducing activities. Totally. Yes.
1: All right. Um, And then you mentioned not sleeping in a bra. I think that's huge. And also looking at what types of bras you're wearing, trying not to do any of the underwire types of bras that like cut off that flow Um, and spending as much time without a bra on or just wearing like a looser shelf bra tank top whenever humanly possible.
2: Yes. So movement, um, allowing movement within the breast tissue, but then also as lifestyle support, we're looking at physical activity movement. Um, So exercise, we see individuals that are physically active with 25% less likelihood of developing breast cancer than those that are sedentary. So we know that regular exercise can help prevent breast cancer by boosting immune function, reducing obesity, and lowering excessive levels of insulin and estrogen. So that's huge. Exercise and weight loss. We would layer in there, which, if you're eating our food as medicine approach, you're going to get that pleasant side effect of weight loss, like our 10-day detox or our 12 week food as medicine keto program would be great support here. Um, we know that, again, the production of estrogen in, in women's fat tissue is a huge factor in breast cancer risk. So obese women are going to have significantly higher associated estrogen-sensitive breast cancer tissues because they're exposed to more estrogen than women of a healthy weight. So if you did gain some weight, um, definitely jumping into our 12-week Food as Medicine keto program or maybe just doing that 12-week Food as Medicine meal plan, which would be cheaper and just give you kind of what to eat, um, would be a great entryway to get the antioxidants we've discussed, get the fiber while still keeping your carb level under control. All right.
1: Should we talk supplements? To yeah, things wrap out? it up with
2: supplements. Yeah. Okay. So um, one that we haven't noted on yet is vitamin D. Um, and there's a lot of solid research on vitamin D level deficiency and women having a greater risk of developing breast cancer Um, we know also that breast cancer survivors that have low vitamin D levels have a greater risk of disease recurrence so just another reason as we're in October we're going into cold flu virus season everyone should be taking the vitamin D balance blend Um, we know that higher vitamin D levels in women is actually linked to better breast cancer survival rates Um, we really like to see everyone in about that 50 to 80 range for optimal um, support during immune season as well. And our vitamin D balance blend has 5,000 IUs of vitamin D plus vitamin K1 and K2, which aid in ensuring that we're not getting calcification of soft tissues or any risk to kidneys. Whereas if you're just taking a vitamin D supplement, prolonged use of that vitamin D in an isolated form without the vitamin K, which is what makes ours balanced, um, could be a risk factor. So definitely check out the vitamin D balanced blend. And then if you're in the fall time, you might want your doctor to test your vitamin D to make sure that you're good with just one per day. Some individuals have to do two rotated with one every other day to meet that optimal range. And then melatonin is another one that we can bring in
1: um, on a supplemental level. So, we've talked um, a whole episode actually on benefits of melatonin. Let's link um, that. That I will make sure to link. But there's promising research in terms of melatonin being preventative against breast cancer.
2: Yes. Uh, Melatonin works through receptors and distinct second messenger pathways to actually reduce cellular proliferation and to induce cellular differentiation Um, and so we do know that there are estrogen dependent pathways uh, that melatonin can actually modulate and reduce the free radical formation of those quinones. Um, and so the uh, melatonin supplementation can actually prevent mutation and cellular toxicity um, through a myriad of signals, but definitely directly through estrogen metabolism, as well as as an antioxidant. Um, and when we looked at a research study, it noted as a summary that the modes of S of, excuse me, Melatonin effects are both anti-proliferative in the world of cancer, anti-metastatic, and pro-differentiative and so really great candidate for hormone balance and prevention of estrogen related cancers and we can see outcomes with just three milligrams a day um, and dosages upwards of 10 milligrams a day to have that really cancer protective effect Um, but this is something that i put all of my breast cancer um, individuals on whether in current treatment remissive state um, or high risk factor the brocco detox And the sleep support in our line are big tools that I rely heavily on. Yes.
1: And then we mentioned the detox packs quite a bit. So again, doing that 10-day detox um, quarterly if we're a high-risk individual, um, post-treatment for sure is is a really good time to dive into that and kind of clear out. Um, And keeping those detox packs in at one a day, either rise or rest, I think is a really good foundational tool as well.
2: Absolutely, because it's not just for breast health, but you're going to support your body when you aid in detoxification in all forms of cancer, right? So definitely a good thing to keep in the mix. And then we talked about multi defense. So multi defense with iron if the woman is menstruating age, uh, multi defense just as is if we are postmenopausal and um, we don't need that added iron. But both of the multi defense versions are going to have those antioxidants. Uh, which are really going to provide that support for that conversion of the estrogen metabolism, plus being a foundational tool to support uh, blood sugar regulation and just healthy weight and ensure that all of your nutrient needs are met. Relax and regulate, we discussed, which has that magnesium bisglycinate, as well as that inositol, which showed anti-cancer effects. Bio-C Plus would be a great add-in as an antioxidant as well as immune supporter with those bioflavonoids. Um, we've also seen in research that vitamin C can support progesterone levels in the body. So again, individuals that are at risk for breast cancer, many of them have suboptimal progesterone levels or excessive circulating estrogen. So that could be a good tool there. And then uh, finally, that cellular antiox um, would be a supplement strategy support um, because that's the one that showed specifically less of the mutagenic or the really harmful compounds of those quinones and semiquinones. Um, that the NAC can actually neutralize the toxic effects of those compounds that are formed in the body. That would be a huge risk factor.
1: All right. So I think we've covered all of the things from the intricacies of your genetics and how they can predispose and what you can do about them to modify, to testing, to food and supplemental compounds, and even breast massage. We fit it all in.
2: Yes. So if you love today's episode, go on over to wherever you're listening and please leave us a five star review and a couple sentences of why you love the Naturally Nourished Podcast. I think this is a really important episode to save and share to a friend or maybe a mom's group or a family member to ensure that we are all taking proactive steps to ensure that we have healthy breast tissue. Uh, and to support our estrogen metabolism for best health outcomes.
0: Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at allymillerrd.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Ally and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.